When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And I thought there's no way I can do it, but I'm not a quitter. Like that's just not part of my personality. I'm very determined. So I said, okay, I can't tell that story because the truth is, Jerome, some stories aren't ready to be told yet. And that's what I was feeling. And the reason for that is because we don't reveal what we haven't healed. The stage is not the place for that. I'm going to say that again. We don't reveal what we haven't healed. So there's a difference between a dream chaser and a dream catcher. Thanks all for tuning in to Dreamcatchers, where we make things happen. Dreamcatchers was formally launched to unlock the hidden potential in successful, self-motivated individuals who desire to take their life's work to the next level but need support to evolve. We are a collective group of professionals with various backgrounds that use our talents to assist those individuals in realizing their wildest dreams by providing education, inspiration, and direction. This podcast is where we share the lessons we've learned along the way to catching our dreams and give you some context around the how and the why to each approach to put you further ahead on the journey to catching your dreams. Are you ready? Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Dreamcatchers podcast. I'm your host, Jerome. I've got the pleasure of having Holly Mignosi with me today. Holly, are you in like California or something? Where are you? How did you know? (laughs) Yes, I am. I'm in sunny San Diego, California. Oh, well, does it ever rain in Southern California? You know, there's a song about that. (laughs) It does. Not very much, but it does every now and again in the winter. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so this is going to be a phenomenal episode, ladies and gentlemen. You press play. You just need to stay till the end. I can promise you it's going to be worth every second of your time. Before we get into the content, Holly, how can the folks get in contact with you? Yes. If you want to connect with me, you can find me inside my Facebook group, Shine On Stage. That's Shine On Stage on Facebook. And I'm on Facebook too. Those are the easiest places to find me. Awesome. 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 I think you have one of the most amazing stories that I've heard across all of the content that I have listened to since 2016. At one point, I was listening to 40 hours of content a week, trying to learn how to be a multifamily investor, then started bridging into development and mindset and a bunch of other stuff. And I found this amazing podcast. My friend Adam Shai was hosting and you were there. And I was excited about the episode because it was talking about storytelling and I'm just a fanatic about storytelling. And I see in your title, you have the storyteller, right? But it just drew me in. So how did you get to the place where you are the storyteller? Let's talk about your story. Yeah, thank you for that, Jerome. I never thought I was a good storyteller. Like, let me just start with that. 
I never thought of myself as a storyteller. If I was young and someone would have come up to me and said, you're going to be an expert in storytelling, I would have said, no, that's not true at all. I'm going to own a hair salon. Like that's what I thought I was going to do, you know? And so it just kind of came through my own challenges, a very challenging story. And then as I started following my heart, I realized I needed to share my story. And in order to do that well, I needed to master the skill of storytelling. And it all sort of started when I was younger. I was in my early 20s and I wanted to be a model. That was one of the things I wanted to do. That was my dream. And I was modeling and acting by day in my hometown of Sacramento. And at night, I was living my dream being a teacher. I was helping people who were wanting to break into the business. And I was helping them with acting and modeling skills. And so I was living the dream as far as I could tell. I was pursuing my dream and then helping other people pursue their dream while I was making good money. I mean, isn't that what everyone wants to do? Like do what you love, help other people and make good money. So there I was in my early twenties thinking I've arrived. Okay. This is success (laughs) until that feeling came to a screeching halt. The day that my boss, John called all of us runway instructors into a room and he announced that he wanted to take the company global. He wanted his modeling and acting company to be the number one company in the world. And in order to do that, we had to look like celebrity models and actors. So like back up for a second, I don't look like a celebrity model or actress. Celebrity models are 5'10". 5'11", I'm 5'8". And they have a very specific body type, right? They're thin and willowy. And let's just say that's not me. I'm more athletic and curvy. And to make matters worse, he pulled out a measuring tape and asked for the runway coaches to get on the runway. And he began to publicly measure us our bust, our waist, and our hips in front of each other. And he called the first runway model up, measured her and said, perfect. And I knew he would because her measurements were perfect. And then he called the second runway instructor up, measured her and said, perfect. And I knew he would. And then he called me. And then I got up on the runway and tried to make myself as small as I could, like like squeezing every inch of myself to the midline of my body. He measured my bust and waist, which were fine, but then he measured my hips, which were not one, not two, not three, but four inches too big. And to you and me right now, that may not seem like very much, right? That's like four inches. What is that? But in the industry, it's everything. And he turned away from me, pointed to my hips, looked at my peers, my coworkers, my colleagues, and said, if any of you have this problem, fix it or you're fired. And I was publicly humiliated. And I felt like the bad apple of the bunch, like everyone else is perfect, but me. And I felt this deep embarrassment and shame. And in that moment, I made a decision. I will do anything I can to not feel that pain again. You know what I'm talking about? Like when you're so in so much pain, you're like, I'll do anything to not feel this. So I started exercising, dieting, but Jerome, I was a size four. I was already small. Like I wasn't getting any smaller. Like, yeah, that was it. So even though I was exercising more and dieting more, I just couldn't get the inches off until one of my colleagues, my friends gave me a little bag of white powder and it was cocaine. And she said, try this. And I was like, well, I've tried everything else. What have I got to lose? And I tried it. And within just a few weeks, I lost weight. I mean, it's basically an appetite suppressant. So within just a few weeks, 
suddenly I was like walking down the hallways with my new sleek physique, compliments from my coworkers, accolades from my boss. I got a promotion. I even made more money and got a raise for damaging my body. And on the outside, it looked like I had it all put together. But on the inside, I was falling apart. I had headaches, heart palpitations, sleepless nights, and I just felt terrible about myself. I knew I was a fraud. I knew that if I ever quit, the weight would come back and I would be an embarrassment again. And that was my 10-year journey, like off and on, using various legal and illegal ways to lose weight until it really got dangerous. And then what happened? I'm now in my early 30 and I'm still using off and on. I'm still in the modeling and acting industry. I met someone, fell in love, got married, got pregnant. And I was able to quit using while I was pregnant because it's okay to be bigger while you're pregnant, right? But then by the time she was like three, we had some problems in our relationship. And that old frenemy of cocaine came back into my life. And we would sometimes use on the weekends or during the week. And I remember it was the weekend we had been out. We came home. It was like six in the morning. And I opened up the door and there's our blonde hair, blue eyed ball of sunshine. And she had been with our live-in nanny. So our nanny was taking care of her while we were gone. And when I walked in, she looked up at me, big bright eyes and so innocent. And she was like, mommy, daddy, where were you? come play with me. And my husband at the time looked at me and went, I'm going to bed. So he went off to bed and half out of just love for my daughter and half out of guilt. I was like, okay, honey, I'll play with you. But I was exhausted. You know, I'd been up all night. Like all I want to do is go to sleep, but I'll play with you. So we sit down to play tea party and she has like the blue cup and I have the pink one and we're playing. And then I actually really got thirsty. So I get up and I go in the kitchen to get something to drink. I come back. She's not in the living room. So I go in her bedroom. I open the door. She's not in her bedroom. Then I go to the bathroom and I open the door. She's not in the bathroom. I'm like, where is she? And I look down the hallway and there's just like our bedroom doors open just a few inches. And you know that feeling that you get when you know, like intuition, something's wrong. And I slowly open up our bedroom door and there she is sitting on the middle of our floor in her pink little tutu with the flower petals on it. And she's holding my drugs in her hands. It was terrifying. I ran to her, pulled the drugs from her hands, checked her mouth to make sure she hadn't ingested anything and realized I'd gotten there just in time. So I grabbed the drugs, I throw them away and I come back. I pick her up and hold her. And then all of a sudden I get what I call like a divine download. These series of questions I hear in my mind, but it's not me asking the questions. I hear a voice and the voice says, what if you didn't get there in time? What if you had to call the police? and she had ingested something. What if they called CPS because you're both using? What if she ended up in foster care and got taken away from you? And the worst question of all, what if she never knew you because she was in the foster care system, but she ended up just like you? And I didn't like the answers to those questions. So in that moment, I put her down and I just decided a second decision, right? You know, my first one, round two, make a new decision. My decision was this. I need to quit three things. I need to quit drugs. I need to quit my marriage because it's dysfunctional. And I need to quit my job. The only thing I've ever known and loved, it was my dream. I couldn't do it for me. I couldn't kick drugs for me, but I could do it for her. And you know, they say that like sometimes we're willing to do more for others than we are for ourselves. Jerome, she saved my life. I really believe I would not be standing here today if it weren't for her. Okay. So was that it? Like you just made the decision and you moved on? I, mm, how did I do it? 
Yeah. Yeah. So I had to quit. I chose, let me reframe that. I chose to quit drugs, cold turkey. I probably should have been admitted to professional care, Narcotics Anonymous or something, but I was embarrassed. I didn't want anyone to know. So I quit drugs, cold turkey. And by the way, if you know someone who's going through this, I don't recommend you quit cold turkey. I recommend you get help and don't do it by yourself. Get some support. And I knew I needed support. And I knew that I needed my mindset to change and I needed to get healthy because the cravings to go back to the drugs were so powerful as it was detoxing from my body. So I decided I need a mindset shift and I need to get healthy. I need help. And you know, when you need a mindset shift, you need mentorship, right? So I hired a personal trainer. I hired Tom, the trainer. Tom, the trainer was 6'2", tall, dark hair, handsome, Italian, like his muscles had muscles. I was highly motivated to go to every single workout. I didn't miss one. But that's really when things started to change for me. And Tom gave me a whole new perspective on myself and my life. And I got compliments for really being strong, not skinny, because I started to gain weight back and I started to build strength and weight lift. And then he gave me compliments, not for skipping meals, but for eating the right stuff. And I started getting stronger and more confident. And I was looking for a new job. And he said, you know what, Holly, I think you're pretty good at this working out thing. I think you should be a trainer. And I said... I'm very used to uh, coaching people, teaching people, and doing it on a topic I love. I love this. So I think you're right. So within four months, just four months of Tom and I knowing each other, we opened up Beyond Fitness Personal Training in San Diego. And he left the gym and, and I left and we opened up this business together. And it was an instant success. Like he took care of the guys. I took care of the women. We were kind of a family business because we also had my daughter that was there and it was wholesome and it felt good. And it was a complete shift in my life, but I still had a problem. My problem was I was embarrassed for anyone to find out that I had used drugs because here I am supposed to be a role model of fitness and health, right? Like I didn't want my clients to know because they might think, you know, otherwise they may not really, I might lose my credibility. Let me say it that way. But a little bit of my story seeped out to one of my clients and she made a fascinating connection. She said, I get it, Holly. You weren't addicted to food. You were addicted to drugs and addiction's addiction. That's why you have so much compassion for people like me. And I thought, huh, I never thought of it that way. I guess you're right. Like I know what it's like to be a woman and not like your physicality, no matter what shape or size you are. I have compassion for that. And then she started sharing my story with people she knew. She happened to be a minister. So she took my story to the church. She told her friends, her family, and the church. And the next thing we knew, a whole new group, a whole new community came into our business. And our business doubled. Like we were booked to to the point where we were thinking about, okay, now we need to hire a team because we can't handle all these people. But because of my story, she was able to share it and bring us new people. And you may have heard facts tell, but stories sell. See, facts are hard for people to remember dates and numbers and things like that, statistics, but stories, our brain is hardwired for it. We've been doing it for hundreds of thousands of years. We've been telling stories. So it's natural that when we hear something that's interesting or inspiring, we can share it as a story with somebody else. And that's when I realized, huh, there's something to this storytelling. I thought I was going to go back on stage and reinvent myself to go back and be a speaker and talk about health and fitness and tell my story. But then I started studying with the best speakers, 
Brendan Burchard, Roger Love, Bo Eason. I had already worked with Tony Robbins. I mean, I was studying with the best and I realized something new was stirring inside me. I was starting to pivot away from health and fitness. And I just found I have a love for entrepreneurs. I have a love for people that are willing to take a risk to pursue their dream. And I felt a calling to help those with a powerful story in the entrepreneur space. And it was hard for me to accept at first. I really kind of rejected it because I had been a trainer for 13 years. We had had our business before I shifted over to storytelling. 13 years to give that up was a lot, but it was undeniable. You may know that when you have a calling, right, Jerome, you can't say no to your calling. Like it's just in you. It's part of you. You can't not do it. So that's what happened. I started studying storytelling, started helping other experts on stage. And what I also found was I was able to pull together my experience from the modeling and acting industry. Modeling on stage is telling a story with clothes. Acting on stage is telling a story from somebody else's perspective and taking on a character. And I didn't even realize that I had already learned all of these things that now I put together in one of my signature courses, which is called the Signature Story Intensive. So I started to create my first course, which was the Signature Story Intensive. And then I started to help experts craft their story. And it's just taken off since then. It's been incredible. So I love this. I call this the red pill moment. You pivoted, you recreated yourself, not once, but twice. And then you get to the place and you're like, wait, I'm still not in my purpose. I'm going to do this again. Now, the third time, did you resist it or did you just go? Because the other times it was kind no, of like a big event, right? But this yeah. was because you wanted. When I reinvented myself from the modeling and acting industry over to fitness, it was really to save my life. Yeah, I didn't know that's what was happening at the time, but that's what was happening. When I pivoted and reinvented from health and fitness over to being a speaker, I felt like I had a choice and I resisted it because all that imposter stuff started to come up. You know, who am I? Who do, who do I think I am that I can tell people how to tell their story and how to do this and how to do that? But I knew that it was my path because of the resistance. The resistance meant that this was supposed to make me strong. It's just like in weightlifting. You lift something heavy because it builds a muscle and your struggle gives you strength. Somehow, I think unconsciously, I just realized I'm resisting this because this is on my path. This is the next thing for me to do. I'm afraid of it. Like it's big to take on the responsibility of helping people through their story. And when I realized that, it was like, okay, here I am again. I have a choice. I can accept it and I can see it as an adventure because it was loaded with uncertainty, ton of uncertainty. So I can either be afraid of it, of the unknowingness and that I don't know if I'm good enough, big enough or strong enough to help people with this, or I can see it as an adventure. Hmm, let's discover what's behind the next turn. So I just decided to take it step by step and take it as an adventure. So was there an event that snapped and you're like, I've got to keep going. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Or was it just kind of meandering through a call? Of the I would say when you say event, the thing that, I, that brings to my mind that I remember the most is I was going to a speaking event and the challenge was that we were supposed to tell our story at the event. And every time I thought of that, I'm someone who plays full out. So if I'm going to go to an event, I'm going to get the most out of it. I'm going to do all the exercise. I'm going to do everything. And thinking about being on stage and telling what I'd been through, it was making me shake. Like I would physically start to 
tremor and sweat. And, <laughs> and I thought there's no way I can do it, but I'm not a quitter. Like that's just not part of my personality. I'm very determined. So I said, okay, I can't tell that story because the truth is, Jerome, some stories aren't ready to be told yet. And that's what I was feeling. And the reason for that is because we don't reveal what we haven't healed. The stage is not the place for that. I'm going to say that again. We don't reveal what we haven't healed. So audience guy, write that down. (laughs) And that story had not been healed. I held guilt. I had shame. I thought I was a bad mom, but I had a smaller story, a story that was less charged, I guess you could say. A story of me giving up on myself. My dream was when I was in high school was to be on the volleyball team and I gave up on myself. And so I told that story. It was a story that was less charged. I had healed. And that's the story that I worked with. But to get to that point, I had to have at least one opportunity to tell the story I was the most afraid of, the most shamed about, which is the one I just told you. So I contacted all my friends and said, could you please hold space for me? I want to tell you this story. You may not know this about me, but I feel a calling that I need to share this and I want to do it in a safe space. So I recorded it, but me telling the story, and then I sent it to my friends and I had to tell the story in my car. Like I didn't want my husband to hear it. I didn't want my kids to hear it. That's how shut in I was with so much embarrassment. I went, I remember it was dark and I went in my car and I'm sitting by myself, you know, filming just bawling, just in tears, crying and quivering at what a horrible mom I thought I was. And I told the story to my friends and what they reflected back to me was not what I thought I was going to hear. What they reflected back to me was my courage, my strength, my fortitude, putting my daughter first, doing something that is incredibly difficult, quitting drugs while I was going through a divorce, while I was quitting my job. I did a whole reinvention all at one time. And so they reflected like all this beauty that I couldn't see. And it was so powerful that it began to heal me. And I made a decision at that point, someday I'm going to tell the story because somebody needs to hear it if they're going through something similar. I still wasn't quite sure at that time. If I didn't know, let me say this. I didn't know at that time I was going to be an expert in storytelling. I thought I was just going to be a speaking coach. I'll help people on stage. I'll help them with stage presence and confidence. And, you know, I can do that. I've done that for a decade, but I didn't know story was going to be the thing I was most known for because it was the thing I was the most afraid of. So at that time, I didn't think that would be it at all. This is amazing. Okay. And so... You shared with them. They loved on you. Yeah. And that gave you the courage to share with a wider audience? I think what happened next is I had an opportunity to speak on stage. And I was deciding what story I was going to tell about myself. And I started to explore if I could tell that story by writing it. So I, I sat down with my computer for, you know, maybe 30 minutes a day. And I would just purge. I wrote my story out and I started to look at it and go, okay, is this something that would help someone? You know, what are the pieces of my story that are universal? Everybody wants love. So a part of my story that's universal is, have you ever done something that you knew wasn't good for you, but you did it anyway because you wanted love? That's the whole reason I started using drugs, right? It's universal. So I started to look at my story and pull out areas that are universal. Have you ever been not able to do something for yourself, but you were able to do it for somebody else? That's another part of my story that's universal. So then I started pulling those essences out. And the more I realized that my story and your story and everyone who was listening, (laughs) your story is divinely designed to be that adversity 
so that it can be your greatest victory. And that's the story that every million dollar movie is made of. That's the story of the underdog, the person who lost it all, the person who was homeless or on drugs or couldn't find the strength to live up to who they were meant to be. And then someone comes along and supports them and helps them to find that peace inside of them. They face their fears. They go through the journey. They look at it as a, as a journey, as a discovery, and they find that they have strengths and skills and talents that move them through from fear to faith, right? Because the modeling and acting industry had taught me to fake it till you make it. But as I was moving through this journey, Jerome, I needed to faith it until I could make it, which is everybody's story, the human story. (laughs) What's up, tribe? It's your host, Jerome. I just want to let you know that we put together a free 15-point checklist for exiting the matrix. Jump on over to dreamshouldbereal.com in order to pick your free copy up. Let's get back to the show. This is so good. Okay. Faith it until you make it. That's right. I don't like fake it until you make it because what I've learned and what I've seen is you never know who's in the room. And when you're inauthentic, those people see right through you and you ruin all opportunity to actually have a real relationship with those. But to your point about being honest and direct and open about where you are and what you're doing, you, you actually get the opportunity to get that support that you, because I don't think anybody ever actually makes a big transition by themselves. Nobody, regardless of how um, egotistical we want to be, somebody helps us move. And it's a matter of whether or not you want to share that credit with other people. So I really value probably the last five minutes because it digs deep. And so you haven't said it yet, but the mess turns into a message is the bow on the stories that you've told and this thought of you don't reveal what you haven't healed. And so how do you know when you've healed so that you can tell the story? Mm, great question too. So if you're, if you have a story that you want to share and you yourself cannot see the benefit to the audience, if you can't spin the story in a way that benefits them, you're not ready to tell it. We have to be able to extract the bigger lessons from it because you could look at it like this. My clients that I work with, most of them don't use drugs. My story isn't really about using drugs. It may seem like it's about using drugs. That's an element of it, but that's just my kryptonite, right? That's just part of perfectionism and all these other things. But if you can share your story and you can still get emotional about it, it is important to feel emotional about your story because if you're not emotional about it, your audience won't feel it. But if you can't extract the big lessons yet, it's not ready to be told. So there's three things that I learned. I mean, there's a lot more than three, but for the sake of the show, let's just say there's three things that I learned from my story. Number one, go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. I was not celebrated in the modeling and acting industry for the wholeness of who I am, if that makes sense. The second thing I learned is when you empower your body, you empower your life. So I wanted you know, my whole life to be empowered, but here I was using drugs to try and get love and acceptance. So I could look as fit this mold, I guess you could say of perfectionism. And as I'm disempowering my body, other parts of my life are falling apart. So when we power our body, we empower our life. That message also crosses over into why health and fitness was so powerful for me. I really got to heal from the inside out. And my third big lesson is 
our story, how powerful our story is, and that your greatest adversity is divinely designed to be your greatest victory if you choose to see it that way. And when it is a victory, you can share it. And the reason why you want to share it is because people don't care about your credibility until they have compassion for your struggle. Ooh, I, whoa. (laughs) Whoa moment. Yeah, because I watch so many people who are perfect walk around and they're trying to get people to enroll in whatever message they're sharing. And it doesn't ever connect. In fact, most people say, oh, they're bragging or they're conceited or they're arrogant. And it's the people who come up and are vulnerable, share their shortcomings. And like, oh, my goodness, like, you seem like such a nice person. How could you possibly go through that? And then when they offer them an opportunity to participate in the vision or the future state that they're offering, that people are lining up to support them in that mission. The vulnerability in your story is the biggest point of connection and trust. You're absolutely right. And that just takes so much courage, it seems, but maybe not. I guess people think that they can't share that piece because it will hurt their credibility. You're right. The reason why people don't share their vulnerable story is they think that it will discredit them. You're absolutely right. But what's interesting, ooh, I'm going to save this. Oh gosh, I want to tell you this, but I also want to save it. If we're going to do a little quiz at the end, I'm going to save it for that. If we're going to do that, okay. Don't forget. There's this effect. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But when people make mistakes and when people are not perfect, that we found out through research that they're actually more likable because they're more real and we can see ourselves in them. And when we can see ourselves in somebody else, there's trust. Okay, so you said a couple of names a few minutes ago. And I was like, wait, like I listen to these guys all the time. Like they're not just that way. Like they had health. And what so name? like, particularly Tony, right? Oh. Like Tony is when I got exposed to him, I was in a really, really bad spot. Right. I was down out depressed, like trying to figure out life. I'd climbed the wrong ladder, realized I climbed the wrong ladder and was like, okay, how do I get down? And you know, this whole concept of having financial success, but not really feel like you're making an impact and having no fulfillment is kind of the worst failure that you can have. And so I was trying to get back down the ladder so I could get on the right one and actually be able to share my message in a way that actually made sense and one that would impact people in an appropriate way. And so were when you mentioned Tony, Brendan, and so on, were you like helping them with speaking or were you going to them and enrolling in their programs? Like, tell me more about that connection, because really easy to put those folks on a pedestal and just think it's amazing. And they just showed up that way. Yeah. So Brendan, Roger Love and Bo, I did go to them for some of their expertise Bo, of course, for storytelling, Roger Love for voice, and Brendan many years ago, I want to say it was maybe 2015, for online, like how to start your business online. Working with Tony, that happened in my early 20s, believe it or not. I was working with him. When I started working with him, people, not everybody knew who he was. Now everybody knows who he was, who he is. But it was in the 90s when I was actually working with him. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day when you'd go to his event and there was only like a thousand people in the audience. That's cool. But it's about proximity, being in the right places at the right time with people and positive impact is the whole game. So actually, he's the reason why I'm in San Diego. I was actually supposed to buy a business and move to Long Beach 
And Tony's the person that said, you don't want to move to Long Beach, you know, come to San Diego. So that's actually how I ended up here. Yeah. And that was in the nineties and I've been here ever since. No way. How cool is that? Yeah. So you got to have the courage to share your story. You've got to be able to share it in a way that people can actually get a lesson from it. Cause if not, then it's a waste. And that's when you probably do actually hurt your credibility for the person who's going through it right now, hurting, struggling, don't really understand how this could possibly be divine. What word do you tell them? What do you say? If they're currently in it, yeah, yeah, you're so much stronger than you know. You are so much stronger than you know. And you wouldn't be in this situation if there wasn't something incredible coming through the situation. And that this is going to be a story that you're not in, but one day you're going to stand on. Stand on. (laughs) We got to stand on our story, not in it like the victim, but on it like victory. Okay. So people have listened to the story. They've gotten the lessons. And some people may think, oh, well, that was just natural. Holly just, you know, she just knows how to tell stories. Maybe Mm -hmm. she's just told it thousands of times. And so she's good at it. But I think you got like a formula and a process for actually packaging it? I sure do. Yeah. I teach this to my students and I'm going to give it to you and give it to the audience right here, right now. So (laughs) I'm going to tell you the five steps to telling a fantastic story, your story. It also works for case studies and client stories, things like that. So if you're listening, you may want to grab a pencil and paper and then we'll use my story as an example. So I can point back to my story and let you know where each of these sections are kind of in my story, if that makes sense. So the first is the call. The call is the call to adventure, the call, the beginning of your story. Now, if you notice, I started my story in my twenties, right? With my dream. So the call can answer two questions. What is your dream? So we get an idea of your aspirations and how did you end up in the pit? So the call answers those two questions. What's your dream and how did you end up in the pit? The pit, which is step two, the pit in my story is like, when is the pit in my story? When's my lowest, darkest moment? You know that, right, Jerome? When she's holding the bag. She's holding. That's right. I've exposed my daughter to drugs. That's right. So that's my pit. If I started my story in the pit, you may not have compassion for my drug use. You might be like, well, that was a ridiculous thing that you did. You know, you're an irresponsible mom, which would be true, you know, or you're an irresponsible person, which would be true. You know, how could you use drugs? But I take you back a little further, not all the way back into my backstory. I don't take you to where I was born and what happened in, you know, adolescence, because it's irrelevant. I only take you specifically to how I started and why I started using drugs. Very specific. So, you know, my dream, which was, you know, I wanted to model and act and be a teacher and help people. So you get an idea that I'm a teacher and then why I started using. And you have some compassion, you know, for why I started using. So step one is the call. How did you end up in the pit? And what's your dream? Step two is the pit. So I told a micro story. I told a little story of me, the industry, right? Modeling and acting by day and also teaching. Then I tell the pit, which is when I walk in and find my daughter. And then step three is the breakthrough. So the breakthrough is when something changes inside. So in order for our exterior to change, our outside world, we have to change inside, right? So the moment where my breakthrough is, is when I decide three things. I'm going to quit drugs, quit my marriage, quit my job. It's a huge decision that completely 
takes me off course on that trajectory that I was on and puts me on a new trajectory. So that's the breakthrough. Step four is talking about like the lessons that you learned. So if somebody else is in the pit, let's say somebody's listening to my story and maybe they're not in the situation of drug use, but maybe they're in a situation that they want to get out of. My story is a step-by-step formula of how they can get out of pain. It's a pathway out of pain. So, you know, one, go where you're celebrated, not tolerated. Two, empower your body, empower your life. And three, your story. Craft your story. The things that you're going through right now will one day serve you. They're not to be hidden. They're to be shared when you're ready. So that's my steps out of the pit. And then the fifth step, which we haven't actually shared yet, which we will, the fifth step is the pinnacle. Like I'm out of the pit. If you can imagine, like there's kind of like a pit here and now I'm out. I climbed out of the pit. Now I'm standing on top of the mountain. And how has my life changed? Well, Tom, the trainer became Tom, my husband. We quickly had a passion for health and fitness that turned into a passion for helping people that turned into a passion for each other. So he's still my husband. We also have a son together and we had our health and fitness business for 15, 16 years. And it was booming and great until it was just time to shift and change. So my pinnacle is, you know, I remarried to someone that is healthy and good for me, started my business and love my business and had a new family. We're all integrated, you know, myself, my husband, my daughter is with us as well and my son. And, you know, the other part of my pinnacle is this. I don't blame my boss. I'm not angry with him that that happened because I've reconciled what happened. I know it was me. I know it was my choice. So I'm not angry with him. And I'm not upset with my ex-husband. He's not the villain. There is no villain in my story that's a person. There is no villain. Let me say that again. There is no villain in my story that is a person. Wow. So you didn't have to make a bad guy or gal. It was the things. It was the circumstances. It was the choices. But no particular person. So you hold no animosity towards anybody. Correct. I'm actually grateful. Thank you for the opportunity to go through that. If I didn't have that experience, I wouldn't have this story today. I would not be who I am today without those challenging situations. So I'm thankful to my boss, my ex-boss, and I'm thankful to my ex-husband. I'm very grateful. Because they were the teachers of the lesson. They were, yes. They were characters in my movie. And anybody could have been those characters. It was my movie. I was creating it. I'm the, the main actress. I'm the writer. I'm the director. I'm the editor. I'm the producer. And I brought in the characters into my movie. Okay. Okay. I love okay. your facial expressions, by the way. Your face. For those of you who can't see, you got to see Jerome's face right now. He's like... <laughs> This is amazing. Okay. So I could go on for like two hours, but I won't. So you were talking about the quiz. Let's do the quiz. And then I'll ask you the final four. And we will probably have to ask you to come back another time. Cause this is- okay. All right, great. So let's have some fun. I have a body language IQ quiz for those of you that are listening, you can play along And we're going to flip the script here. And I'm going to ask Jerome, thank you, Jerome, for being willing to play and to be put on the spot. I'm going to ask Jerome some questions and then you're going to, I'm going to give you multiple choice. And then you get to say, okay, which, which one is it? Okay. So we've got five questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Question number one. So this is about body language. Who is better at reading body language? Is it men or is it women? Women, of course. Yeah, ding, ding, ding. (laughs) 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. So there was a little research done and they found that when they took two groups of people, all women and all men, and they set up electrodes to their brains and monitored their brains and asked them to decode body language, they found that women's brains light up in 15 different places, whereas a man's brain only lights up in eight. So he's literally using half of his brain to decode the communication that someone is giving with their brain. So ladies, when you are at you know the restaurant and you see someone making eyes or flirting with your man and he's like, I didn't see anything. He probably didn't really see anything because <laughs> women will pick up on other women flirting faster than men. That's the whole thing. We'll talk about that on part two. <laughs> All right. Question number two in a group of people talking. Let's say you go to a networking meeting and there's like five or six people talking in a circle. Which body part points to the alpha in the group? Is it the eyes, A, B, the heart, or C, the feet? Eyes? Heart? (laughs) No, it's gotta be the heart. It's the feet. It's It's gotta be the heart. No. (laughs) The heart, yes. Here's why. Here's why body parts that are closer to our face and our core, we can control them consciously better and faster than body parts that are further away. So here's what you'll you'll see happen. If you're in a group of people talking and there's one alpha, everyone's feet will be pointed to that one person. Now, if something happens outside the circle, like if there's someone going, hey, you come over here, people will point their feet part at the alpha and the other foot at the other direction. So their attention is split. It's completely unconscious. We don't realize we're doing it. So how you can use this is next time you're speaking to someone in a group, just glance down really quick at the feet. So if you're speaking in a group and everyone's feet are pointing to you, you're the alpha. If you're speaking to one person, one person, there's how to use this. If you're speaking to one person and you look down and one foot is pointed to you and another foot is pointed in the other direction, you can be very courteous and say, hey, I notice that you're slightly turned in this direction. Is there something you need to take care of? We can always continue this conversation later. They will appreciate your awareness and they will remember you for that. Wow. Okay. (laughs) All right. Number three, are we ready? In a conversation, what does the alpha influence? Is it A, the topic of the conversation, B, the pace of the conversation, or C, when to laugh, or D, all the above? D. All the above. Ding, ding, ding. You got it. All the above. We are naturally primed to mirror the body language, the pace, and the speed with the alpha because we know unconsciously that there's strengths in numbers and we don't want to be kicked out of the tribe. So the more we mirror them and act like them or pace ourselves to their pace, we're more likely to be contained into the tribe and their safety in numbers. So that's the unconscious reasoning for that. So great job. Okay, number four. Which of the following statement is true? Now, this is about women. A woman will have varying degrees of alphaism, which means sometimes she's the alpha at work, but she's not at home or the reverse. Or an alpha female is the alpha all the time. I think it varies. I think some can be super docile when they come home and then they're at a totally different level everywhere else. It's really interesting. Ding, ding, ding. You are, you're a wise man. You got it. That's right. Women have varying degrees of alphaism and they can, and sometimes it has to do with energy and how much 
mental like how fatigued they are as to how much alphaism they have or don't have. And when you have two women that are both alpha in a space, that's when you have like cattiness happen. And the truth is they're just both jockeying for that alpha position. So it's, it's interesting. All right. Number five, this is our last one. Does the modern alpha, could be a man or a woman, embrace their faults or do they hide them? So do they hide their faults or do they embrace them and show them to the world? The modern alpha. I think they show. Ding, ding, ding. You're right. Yep. You got it again. So this is called the Pratt Fall Effect. And what researchers found is they took two groups of people and they had two actresses and they said to one actress, okay, we want you to demonstrate this mixer and we want you to mix the juice and do it perfectly. Everything just perfect. And then they said to the other actress, we want you to make mistakes, spill the juice, say the wrong thing, kind of flub up a little bit. And then they questioned the audience and said, which would you, are you more likely to buy from? Right. And they, asked polls, who's more relatable? Who would you buy from? And they found that the audience would buy from and found the one that made mistakes more relatable. So the idea is that if we see someone who makes mistake and they're able to own it and they're able to share it and that they don't have, I guess you could say judgment around it, we feel comfortable because we're, we feel like we can show our fault and not be judged for our faults. So it, it provides a safe space. And that's called the pratfall effect. Gotta bring them in. Gotta bring them in. I, everybody's gotta. Yeah. And so that this was sometimes phenomenal. what I share with my speakers when, you know, we're working together, I'm afraid I'm going to make a mistake. What if I forget this part of my story? And it's like, Hey, pratfall effect. People are going to love you. If you make a mistake, you're all good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. So the final four, right? First one, what are you most grateful for? I'm so grateful for the opportunity of, with others through a platform like this or um, in any way that it comes, but to be able to share the authentic me, the real me, um, the me that is vulnerable, makes mistakes, is imperfect, and has self-doubt even still today the opportunity to share the realness of who we are with someone like you, like I just met, that's pretty incredible. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much for sharing and being so authentic. What dream are you most focused on catching that? Well, I have two, I think. One's like a personal, one's kind of professional. So I really want to make a bigger impact in the world. And my mission is to, in particular, help women. I think women have a harder time sharing their stories. And I want to help a million women share their soul purpose on stage. So they're not afraid of the stage or afraid to be seen in all of the beauty that they are. And I want to create a new space where even today, the stage arena is still really dominated by men. 75% of speakers are male. And they make more than women do. So I want to bring on the new age where women own the stage. <laughs> oh, don't leave me out. Don't <laughs> <laughs> leave there right, right with us. <laughs> I'm okay with that. I think the feminine alphas bring a value to the table that so many of us overlook. So I think it makes complete sense to do that for sure. Holly, what gift are you giving the world? The gift I'm giving the world, I think it's purpose. It's really helping people find meaning and purpose in their life by giving it freely to others. Giving freely. 
So few people do that. Everything's a transaction for some reason. It's really interesting. So before I ask the final question, I just want to love on you a little bit. This has just been amazing. I think I have the best interview you've ever done to date. I mean, the way you told the stories, you gave details that I haven't heard anywhere else, which made it even more shocking for me, even though I knew the end of some of the stories. And I just think the courage that you demonstrated by showing that you aren't perfect and showing that you did make mistakes, but you were able to recover and repurpose and hopefully share with somebody else to give them that hope and show them that, you know, their dreams can and should be real. And so you are absolutely a dream catcher in my book. You didn't just chase things. You weren't afraid to pivot in the middle of things going well, where most people would just stay there and be comfortable, especially after having struggle and giving up on what they thought their initial dream and purpose was. And it seems like every time you pivot, you go to make people's lives better at a different magnitude. And, you know, as far as moving forward, but you also, I think you go deeper and get into the core of what I think it actually means to be a human being and that significance, that ability to help pull out their purpose and encourage them to go out and be the ripple in a pond is something that is extremely special. So thank you so much for doing that and sharing with our listeners, because I don't know that they could have got this anywhere else. Final question. What's the one thing you want the listeners to take away from this episode? Share your story first with your inner circle, a space that feels safe and sacred and that you feel held and, as you say, loved on and share your story and begin to share it with a broader audience from the perspective that there's something in it for them. And you will be amazed at the miracles that will happen and the healing that will happen and how people will see you as courageous and inspiring when you're just being you. Being you. Human beings being, (laughs) not human doing. This is awesome. Thank you so much for coming on this show. And to the listeners, your dreams should be real. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining the tribe today. We would love to hear from you. Please don't forget to rate, like, and share. Perhaps someone you know could benefit from what we've discussed. Until the next time, remember that your dreams should be real.